Hello, this is the African Tech Roundup. Welcome to episode 24 for the week ending Monday, September 28th, 2015. As always, we round up the week's most important technology, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. I'm Andy Lemasu and my co-host with the most, as always, is Defo Mahapi. How's it, dude? Hello! I'm just kidding. Just pre- Hey, that's my thing. That's my thing, bro. I'm practicing for next week. You won't be here. I can't wait to see who you're going you're gonna to get to join you. Um, you better miss me. Everyone listening, better miss me because I will be back. No, it's all good. How are you doing? I'm cool, man. I'm cool. Really, I am. And listen, to you listening, if in the off chance you aren't a regular listener, head straight to africantechroundup.com to catch up on what you've been missing, man. And while you're there, sign up for our weekly newsletter and get the podcast sent straight to your inbox every Monday. Also, you can check us out on Twitter at African Roundup is the handle. And check us out also on Facebook and talk to us at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. And you can also comment on our website at africantechroundup.com. We'd love to hear from you. So a little later on in this week's show, we'll be talking about the rise of ad blockers and the proliferation of fake online media traffic. Mm. But first... This week's African Tech Roundup is brought to you by Imagination Info Solutions. Now, Imagination is an information management and consulting company that helps businesses create reports that are both meaningful and insightful. Reports that actually assist business people make good, solid, data-driven decisions that impact the bottom line. Trying to extract data using internal IT teams can be helpful, but sometimes the backlog of work that IT faces means that you're just not in a position to get you what you need right away leaving you to try and build your own reporting solutions. Not unless you're an Imagination client. Visit imagination.co.za to find out how Richard Bezadenhout and his team can help your business and learn firsthand why clients are raving about their information management solutions. So today's listener comment is from Cape Town-based digital manager and blogger Rousseau Nell. Here's his take on what might have led to the failure of the Altec node as covered in last week's episode. So when you look at the Altec node, my guess of what went wrong is that the technical team had way too much influence on what the product is and how it's portrayed to the public. They lost sight of the main benefit of the product because the engineers and developers were so proud of the device. When you look at the adverts for nodes, I think the problem becomes even more obvious. There's one web ad that has this long paragraph saying that the node is a streaming server, an e-commerce platform, a VOIP solution. Those are all internal technical terms. It's not the way you describe a product to the public. Then there's also um, that video ad with the smug handsome guy. The overall tone of that ad is it's quite creepy, I think. It's, it's like a family split into different rooms and showing you all the things you can control with the node. Who are they making this for? Is it, is it for tech-savvy dads with controlling tendencies? I'm sure there are people that this would appeal to, but I imagine it's a niche market. It's not a mainstream consumer thing. And like, if you compare the node adverts to the way that Netflix portrays its products, you can see the difference. Netflix web ads have a photo of a group of people on a couch having a great time. In big text it says, Watch TV shows and films anytime, anywhere. 
see there it's it's about the benefit it's what you get from it it's not like a long list of features now if you'd like us to include your audio comment on any of the topics we've covered you can email us using hello at africantechroundup.com or give us a shout on facebook or twitter and now for the news First up, JSC-listed technology group Altron is back in the headlines for a second week in a row. Now, last week we covered the unfortunate demise of the Altec Node VOD device and its accompanying services. Now, Altron is poised to sell its Altec AutoPage subscriber base to Vodacom, MTN, and South Sea for a whopping 100, well, estimated at least, 108 million US dollars. Wow, that's not bad. I don't think this is bad news for them, depending on how it how it pans out. I'm just interested to find out if they'll be laying off people or if staff will be moving over. They're saying that the disposal is subject to conclusion of certain service levels, which makes sense, of prepaid services running out with them and hence have receivable services and escrow agreements, and it still awaits board approval. But I see it happening. Uh, well, I mean, they, they have admitted that this money will be handy to reduce the, the group's debt and restore cash to the company's balance sheet. Cash they no doubt lost on projects like <laughs> the Node. I'm sure the board should look at this thing and, and see the sense in it. Yeah, I think it's a good move from their side. It'll make them a little bit cash flush. But I wonder what they're going to start playing in, in terms of the telco and the media space now that the Altec Node is no more and the AutoPage business is no more. Basically, they were holding on to these contracts that are delivering less and less value to them because of all you know, the cuts and termination rates and you know all these deflationary pressures that are happening within the mobile industry. And so, I mean, they were looking at this, this book of, of business and with it diminishing in value, might as well serve it right back to the people who technically own the customer. I guess the business model doesn't make sense. I mean, this follows hot on the steps of Nashua Mobile, which is similar business model as Ultron Autopage, shut down. So, yeah, it makes sense. Right, well, to Ethiopia next, where that country's citizens are ringing in the new year in style with the launch of what's being held as Sub-Saharan Africa's first light rail network. Interesting. What is a light rail network? That's a very good question. You know, I looked into it, and it turns out light rail has to do with how much traffic the, the network can carry at any given time in any given direction you know my first question was how can you say that when we've got the how train in south africa and apparently the how train is uh, is a lot higher capacity it doesn't quite count as a light rail network you know I- i'm not sure if there are any engineers out there anyone in the field who can give us shed more light on it bottom line is good news for for ethiopia great way to ring in the new year which of course uh, we forgot to wish them happy new year because they celebrate theirs on september 12th uh, this chinese made uh, rail network Work is good news for this for Ethiopia because I, from what I understand, traffic in Addis Ababa is ridiculous. Yeah, interesting, but for a very low capacity, low traffic rail network, it's pretty expensive. Looking at four hundred and seventy-four million dollar project, thirty-two kilometers of, of of line. Thirty-two kilometers doesn't sound like a lot. Um, quite a few stops along the lines. Um, it's expected to carry fifteen thousand people per hour in a single direction and could attain four times that amount if it went in different directions but i believe there's a single line for the moment top speed 70 kilometers an hour not terribly fast but still something that i think should take pressure off the road network Definitely, but look guys, don't take me too seriously. This is a good project and I'm sure it will improve transportation in Ethiopia. Nigeria has been talking about getting one of their own. Uh, the Lagos Rail mass transit on hold, delays, uh, you know, there was a, a, a deadline. September 2014 was missed. Where it is 13 odd light rail networks across Africa uh, now in construction. This is a good trend. Uh, big up to Ethiopia for actually making a plan and getting it done. 
Yep, and this is apparently the first one in sub-Saharan Africa, right? Turns out, quite a few in North Africa. Turns out, uh, Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, you've been enjoying this for a while. But um, first one down, down south, South Africa could use some, I think. Ah, we got the Gau train and they've already got plans of expanding it across Gauteng. I'm a huge fan. Look forward to that. Following recent exits from Greece and Turkey, Groupon has just announced several other countries it will be withdrawing from, including Morocco. Yep, and they'll be downsizing 1,100 jobs worldwide, which makes me question all these uh, Silicon Valley valuations of companies and valuing them as they raise rounds of funding in the hundreds of millions or billions. Well, there were certain numbers they obviously took their investors to their investors as proof of traction and and uh, with promises of being able to roll out clones all over the world with success and clearly not quite working in Morocco, Panama, the Philippines, Puerto Rico, Taiwan, Thailand, and Uruguay. I, I'm thinking the Philippines, a huge, a huge, I wouldn't go as far as saying a huge mobile first market, but certainly a huge mobile market, uh, incredibly large population. If Groupon can't make it work there, goodness knows where it can. Well, I just feel sorry for South African employees of Groupon South Africa. Maybe they should start looking for jobs. Hey, who knows? Well, all the best there. Um, I'm sure there's great talent that will find its way to other places. All the best to all of those jobs being cut. Well, to Kenya now, where multi-choice seems to have heard the crimes of Kenya's affluent minority and added more channels to their premium Compact Plus and Compact DSTV packages, which kick in on the 1st of October. Interesting. First, we need to note they didn't drop prices. They were never going to drop prices. Nah, nah, this is Nasperos, guys. <laughs> no one's going to push Nasperos around, let's be honest. So they added channels which probably fraction of the costs. They can still cover the cost with what they charge. And the channels, they said they're adding are channels like CBBs for kids. Whee! Teletubbies, that's all I can think of. That's all I know. <laughs> BBC Lifestyle, BBC Brit. Now, that's for you. That's if you're on Compact, okay, you cheapo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't watch DSTV. I don't have it. I don't have it either, so I'm being, I'm being really silly. Okay, so look, so basically three channels being added if you're on Compact. Um, and then you can look forward to an open week, apparently, from the 28th of September to the 2nd of October. That's an open week for Comedy Central. Uh, this, obviously, to celebrate Trevor Noah's takeover of The Daily Show, and we hope it does well. Um, alas, no English Premier League, guys. Hunger strike, maybe? Yeah, maybe you guys can, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Threaten to starve yourselves and see what DSTV does next. No, but they've got this down to the T. I mean, they're not dropping prices. They're getting people hooked. They're saying, okay, we won't drop price of the product, but we'll entice you with other three more channels on the compact side. And we'll still not give you the one that you want, which is the English Premier League. But hopefully you'll upgrade and get a better... Yeah, I, I don't understand Kenyans and wanting to do this, but perhaps the next story will give them a bit of hope. Kenyan ISP cable company, Come Mobile Network, Zuku, has reportedly slashed prices to take advantage of all the disgruntlement around DSTV's increased subscriptions. And uh, apparently they're trying to consolidate ahead of the rumored um, you know, set-top box uh, that Safaricom is going to launch. I, I'm just hoping that if Safaricom has that in mind, they've learned their lessons from the Altic Note. I hope so. I hope they're also thinking of generating content. I mean, I was interesting enough having a Twitter interview or chat last week with uh, Startup Edge South Africa, and they asked me what trends or where will the next unicorn. I hate that term. I don't like this. The unicorns. Like they, they, okay, let's just move on. <laughs> anyway, where the next $1 billion company in Africa will come from, and there's, if you even look or listen to the past episodes of, of African Tech Roundup, you'll realize that telco, media, and uh, fintech 
are what will most probably generate the next one billion dollar company and zuku also plays into that and that's why i say i hope safaricom if they want to are playing in the media space and i saw recently talking of that talking of telcos generating content project ecs were advertised the role for a content manager which gives you a little bit of a heads up on what where they're thinking Mm, mm. Also quite interesting are the kind of knock-knocks on the door we're getting <laughs> around creating content and, and, and definitely distributing it a lot more effectively than people seem to be trying to do themselves. Oh, yeah, definitely. So if you're young or even if you're old and you're looking to get into tech, three fields really, fintech, media, telco. Telco is probably out because you need a lot of money to put that infrastructure in. Fintech, a lot of regulation, but if you've already played in that space, maybe you want to start. Or if you're good with Bitcoin, maybe you want to go in there, which leaves you with media, but then you come up against us. And we crush you, buddy. (laughs) Just go get a job. It's cool. I'm kidding. Please come. Join us. There's lots of space here in Africa. All you bright sparks, get something started. No, it's all good. But uh, it's interesting what Zuku is doing, given what happened to the Altec node, and we'll watch that closely. Right, to so South Africa now, where a recent global survey commissioned by Vodafone and conducted by YouGov has revealed that one in five South African teens have been bullied online. Interesting. Before I make my comment, let's look at the stats. South Africa was ranked fourth highest after New Zealand, which had 30%. The US had 27%. And Ireland had 26% of their children saying they've been cyberbullied before. And children surveyed in the Czech Republic and Spain were found to be the least likely to have personally been bullied on the internet, with only 8% responding yes. This is quite interesting, but my view is always that the internet is not... uh, is not what makes this happen. It's just an enabler. It probably makes this happen faster. So whatever has been happening in real life in these, and when I mean real life, I mean off the internet, has it's just being transferred onto the internet. So probably we have a bullying problem in South Africa and not just a cyber bullying problem. That's true. I mean, if you take into consideration how News24 basically shut down anonymous comments on their website in favor of Facebook, where you actually have to say who you are in order to say something and they filter them so your comments may or may not be filtered to the top i asked just you know tongue-in-cheek the other day on on linkedin so guys where does hate live now and people like responded it's it's on business day live it's on iol it turns out people will not be uh, hindered from being horrible trolls on the internet uh, so long as the internet exists so there you go. So we do have that problem in South Africa, whether it's on the internet or off the internet. The internet just makes it easier. But it's worrying. It's really sad because, uh, again, it's some of the, the information we get from this from the survey is that one in five teens have uh, have let this affect them uh, and keep them from going to school. Some of them have had to close down their social media accounts, which I don't consider such a disaster, quite frankly. First world problem. But... Um, more disturbingly, uh, 40% have admitted that they haven't told their parents or guardians about what's going on because, you know, they don't they feel ashamed. It, it, almost, it almost doesn't feel real enough or important enough to bring up. And I, and I know for this, this, this you know, generation, is it Generation Z? I don't know what comes after Generation Y. It's, it's Z, right? So, yeah, I don't know. For, I suppose for Generation Z, you've got children who are obviously digital natives and a great deal of their self-worth or at least their where they derive their sense of person from is on the internet if it's being compromised in any way could have lasting consequences on these kids yeah and um, they live in a very image conscious age given the social media trend so when something happens on the internet it almost feels like real life so if somebody tells them something or bullies them online it transfers to real life as the survey shows 
probably an indictment on the, the, the standard of parenting across the world, especially in South Africa, given how high we rank here. Um, but again, let me not preach. All right. So, but finally, staying with South Africa, according to a Times Live report, the infamous Twitter personality, the pig spotter, has been revealed as a certain 33-year-old Cliff Ricardo Santos Pinto of Lambton in Germiston, Johannesburg. Now, that's really specific, and it's courtesy of our friends over at Times Live. Interesting. Uh, I mean, he, there's been cries that he shouldn't have been outed. His identity shouldn't have been, because he does some civil good, telling people where roadblocks are, where police are, etc. But I'd like to ask, is it legal to tell people how to avoid officers of the law? This guy started in 2010, basically, and... I was a follower, I have to initially, uh, <laughs> I have to be honest, um, you speak to a, a moral debate, which I think... A legal debate. A legal debate, which in my world is is a moral debate, because it really came down to, is this right or wrong, and it's probably, probably wrong for me, <laughs> but anyway, listen, so he starts off by tipping off motorists about traffic and roadblocks, and the thing is, in South Africa, there's this whole thing around um, traffic cops who are... Who, who basically put, set up speeding roadblocks in places that they're not designated to do so. And because most consumers don't really question this practice, they get all these tickets and it creates a whole lot of revenue for municipalities and things like that. And, of course, this is his Robin Hood reason for, for doing it. But really what it came down to effectively was telling everybody who was a follower of his account where all the roadblocks were and where all the cops were, even in places where it was legal and that probably wasn't right. And look, the Metro Police Department in, in Johannesburg threatened to, to, to take him to court for defeating the ends of justice. That didn't work out because they went to Twitter and Twitter wouldn't give up his address and, and his name. And then in 2010, a docket against him was actually sent to the Director of Public Prosecutions. That didn't work. It reportedly took a dispute with some guy for him to be outed in legal papers and yo, if it really is him his life is about to change and not for the it's not for the better I'm sure yeah the, how it came out if I understand correctly is that uh, this guy had an accident and it, it is alleged that this guy bumped a, a motorbike rider so pig spotter hit the motorbike rider no 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 this guy who outed him right bumped a motorbike right the rider passed away that's very sad it is alleged that the guy who bumped him drove away from the scene he ended up and this was revealed on Pigspotter's account, allegedly that he wasn't at the scene. So now, the, obviously, it's an accident. It has to go to court. Now, the guy who's being accused of killing the motorbike rider is saying that, one, he, he didn't bump him, firstly. And secondly, he's altered uh, Pigspotter's uh, identity, which makes for interesting discussion because if Pigspotter was making all those revelations... If he was called to testify in court, his identity would have been outed anyway. And also, all this, the smirky world of the internet and how it needs to be regulated, it just, just adds to that, the complexity of that debate because at the end of the day, um, Pigspotter is being uh, accused of defamation. Um, uh, we, we, we often on the show like to, s to say that the internet is the one place where we should be allowed to be who we need to be without you know, being forced to identify ourselves and you know the thing is when when that when that premise is pushed to its nth there are problems like 
some stranger could accuse you of something you didn't do and you'd need to you know you need the law to be able to, to you know get yourself off the hook if that was what was necessary yeah that's fine that's why I don't understand the outrage against uh, pig spotter's identity being outed because he outed without any legal proceedings outed another guy as having killed a motorbike rider but he has a problem with his identity being outed so who's right who's wrong so if if he wants all my my rule is that if you're gonna dish out something you must be ready to take it as well well yeah in this case um, bacon for lunch yeah and i have a bacon for breakfast bacon for everything and i have a problem with him calling cops pigs come on that wasn't cool that's where the name comes from by the way if you if you went away he basically called cops pigs and yeah spotter you put it together yeah not very tasteful but hey speaking of traffic (laughs) okay probably tasteful i mean it's bacon well, I, I do not do the bacon thing, pork, no doubt. So not for me, for you perhaps. Okay, for me. <laughs> well, speaking of traffic, though, there's a whole hoo-ha at the moment which what's being widely regarded now as the proliferation of fake display ad-bot views. And uh, online media peddlers bemoaning the fact that ad blockers are just ruining their lives at the moment. Let's talk about this. This was a long time coming. and Yeah, it was a long time coming, but let's let's break it down a little bit uh what i've in terms of uh, ad blockers what's happening now with the release of uh, apple's ios 9 is that there's a proliferation of apps that they've allowed on the app store that block ads literally on news content and content sites they can't block ads in app like inside an app but they can block ads on websites so if you're viewing a website on your iphone on your ipad on a macbook They will block the ad. Even Apple News does that. Their new product, new service that curates news. So you can block ads that way. And there's been an outcry by publishers, online publishers, that this is taking food out of their mouths, taking their bread away, etc., etc. Then you've got the other side of the coin, which is fake display ad viewers or fake video ad viewers, fake banner ad viewers and clicks, etc., which obviously, I mean, without even without proof, you would think that this is publishers running bots to generate views and clicks so that they can earn more from advertisers. So say you're a digital ad agency X and you have sold a campaign to brand Y and you've sort of guaranteed a certain response rate on that campaign, um, maybe promised them a million views on on YouTube. Given the technologies out there, uh, you are now in a position to program those results. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Financial Times reported last week that almost... 25% 25% of all ad clicks and views are fraud, are bought. That's about $6 billion in 2014. That's a lot of money. You know what? I've actually experienced the ad blocker thing. Um, I'd be watching YouTube, and when an ad came along, it would silence it. The ad would play, but it would silence it. And I actually had to physically turn up the volume again when the ad was over. So I don't know what that was doing, because I didn't even opt in for that. You know, so I... I'm really confused by this whole thing. And uh, being in the media space ourselves, uh, we're re- realizing how our specific new media positioning as podcasting, uh, as podcasting producers uh, puts us in quite a unique position to avoid this whole thing. It does. But interesting enough, it gets worse than that silencing of YouTube. In terms of text content, literally banner ads get removed with ad blockers. You won't see them at all. So the publishers don't get to have uh, the what you call CPM, cost per milli, so they don't people don't view them. People if you can't view it, obviously you can't click it. So it removes all those banner ads or display ads and all you have is the content. And that's what they're complaining about. But you might say, oh, but that should make me sad. But I'm quite happy about that because that removes the lazy because you were starting to get a lot of people who are generating 
sort of recreating a lot of content and becoming lazy just to get traffic so that people can view their ads and click on their ads. So these are like content farms. So an article breaks out on news site X. They've got the full details. News site Y decides that we're going to rewrite it and at the bottom will say as reported on that site and we re- they rephrase everything and summarize everything as if they were there. But they were never. And some of these sites do that for every piece of content they have. Not just one or two. They do it and they don't just use the other sites as sources, but they'll do it for whole articles, 20, 30, 40, hundreds a day, and that's how they make money. So I'm very happy because this removes their laziness and it brings back the, quali- the, the debate about quality content onto the internet. I'm thinking of sites like Upworthy, BuzzFeed, um, to, and it's interesting. You know, BuzzFeed is quite an interesting one because uh, you know I, we're huge fans of, of, of its founder here on the show. Um, well, off, off the mic at least. And <clears throat> it's interesting how he's been speaking lately about the importance of, of creating your own content. Perhaps he might had ha, might have had inside information about how stuff might ter- pan out. I mean, I, I'm thinking about things being as basic as if you are a YouTube creator at the moment who relies on the on re- who relies on the, the the revenue you were getting from that whole YouTube system. I mean, it basically cuts you out completely from creating money in that way. Yep, definitely it does. I mean, BuzzFeed is a good example. They they do native advertising, which is non-intrusive, but it's it gets the publisher to think about how to create content, which is sponsored, which is an advert, but it still speaks to the user in a way that they'd love to read it or view it. But at the heart of their business was initially just repurposing content or or finding trends to sort of just reintroduce to audiences in a myriad of different ways. They do repurpose content, but they curate it quite well. I mean, they take it takes some creativity to do the listicles that they do. I know a lot of people hate them, but if you look at the listicles, it's not like it was already trending somewhere else. Yes, it's pieces of content that exist somewhere else, but they don't exist in the same spot. So they'll pull and come up with a list of, uh, I saw this week, uh, something like man buns, you know, like, men's hair buns i can't do it i've got afro dude (laughs) who needs buns my whole hair is a bun (laughs) (laughs) so they had like 21 men buns thing but these this was never a single article so they pulled famous people from different places and so they do repurpose content but they're not lazy repurposing content i think they'll survive for a very long time to come the problem is guys who repurpose specifically text content literally as it is who who's to blame for this and who who's up to it who's doing it i mean it's clear who we don't have proof who's doing the fake ad views and the fake ad clicks but it points you need to look at who benefits from that and that's publishers so if they get like a 2 million, 30 million ad views that are fake or ad clicks that are fake, they benefit. So they can't be crying and saying, no, we don't know anything about it. You, It seems, and without proof, it seems that some publishers, some big ones too, are generating bots or hiring bots to send fake traffic to their sites to view their ads and to click on their ads. And I've heard news of some African, especially old print media guys who just come on online, using the same tactics of you buying traffic to their sites. So you're speaking about publishers in a traditional sense. Um, I'm saddened by this somewhat because I have very often vehemently argued for considering online media and and its consumption at at par or not even superior to, to, to a certain extent to traditional media. But it almost feels like with these kind of things dirtying the waters, TV sounds like a good deal. TV is still a bad deal. I mean, 
TVs, you don't know exactly how many people are viewing. Um, yeah, they've got formulas. and Well, you've got bots involved now, so you don't know whether you're, you know, well, your stuff is being viewed by real people. I don't think you can have a bot watching TV. There's no ways. Yes, you can have a program, a piece of software going through to a website because that registers. But with TV, they, they don't even know how many people are watching a TV show. So it still doesn't make it appealing. But for me, what this boils down to is uh, I think there was a lot of old media influence when things went online. So the whole display ad thing, maybe a bit of history for all history as far as I know it. At first you had pop-up ads, so you'd visit a website and a new window would pop up with an ad. It still happens on some sites, not not all sites. So initially in the early 90s, this is as far back as I can go. I'm sure that people can go way before that. You'd have ads pop up as you visited a site and it would be, yeah, that's very intrusive. Then what happened is browsers by default, and it still exists, if you check your browser, whether Internet Explorer, Google Chrome, Firefox, it has a pop-up block setting. That's right. That's like an ad blocker. And they were generated simply because there were pop-up ads. And I don't remember an outcry like we're having now, but those pop-ups were ads, all of them. So it would you visit a site, a pop-up would come in a new window, and that was very irritating. Browsers, by default, created a pop-up uh, setting where, by default, it would switch it off. You could enable it if you wanted to, because very small amount of sites would pop up something useful that you needed to sign on or something like that. But the UI has become more, much better, so there's no more pop-ups. So that fell away. You didn't see pop-up ads. Then guys started thinking about banner ads, so you can't shut it down. So it's in your face, it's on the site, you have to view it, it registers as you viewing it. And sometimes you might just click on it depending on how well it looks or if it interests you or not. And now we see the ad blockers, which to me is very similar to the pop-up blocker setting on browsers. And Apple have taken the lead on this and say, yeah, we're going to block that. And I agree with them. All right. Well, that's we want to hear from you, publishers. What's your beef? What's your problem with this thing? Because it sounds to me like all Apple want to do is give us a great listening or viewing experience or reading experience. And and, and you, just, you guys just want to make money at our expense. We're not up to it. So if you're out there, Mr. Publisher, and you miss Publisher, and you want to give us a shout about why this is such a, you know, such an unfair thing for for apple to to be to be promoting please let us know just one last point it's uh you how we consume digital content versus how we consume print with print obviously you buy the physical publication and you view it with the ads included with digital you pay before you get online hence we've had this debate before with music where people felt that i already paid to get for the data to download the music it's a 10 meg file i'm already gonna pay two rands or 10 US cents, whatever it is, but I'm already paying a cost, and on top of that, you want to charge me. So people feel this sense, or consumers feel the sense of entitlement, which you might say is an ethical debate or a moral debate, but they're already paying and they feel the sense of entitlement that I've got this device that I've paid for, I'm paying to connect to the internet, and I'm going to pay anyway, whether it's text content video content to download that content onto my device and on top of that you making either the experience crappy by putting ads everywhere or you want to charge me for the content so i think it's a challenge to publishers and all of us to find creative ways to to generate money out of content and what's interesting is uh, a lot of this content is behind paywalls which again you pay <laughs> to, to enter and and then and then still you you know you're confronted with advertising which you didn't ask for. Well, with paywall, I think if your content's good enough, you can afford to put up a paywall. And if you've got the traffic, you can afford to put up a paywall. Financial Times is doing that quite well. And I think they, they they they're succeeding with that. I think. 
but it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a debate that uh, that will go on for quite a long time to come. Well, listen, we'd love to hear from you. Are you a consumer of media that is just applauding these changes, loving Apple for what it's doing in encouraging all these ad blocking um, apps to come online? And or, like I said earlier, are you a publisher who's you know disgruntled, quite frankly? And are you or are you one of those dodgy folks who's manufacturing fake? likes and fake follows and and fake click-throughs and 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 uh, dishonest uh, views you're causing you're messing it up for everyone buddy so if you're listening under the sound of my voice please stop but we'd love to hear from all of you of course <laughs> give us a shout on facebook you know it's at facebook.com forward slash african tech roundup or you can hit us up on twitter using the handle at african roundup or using the hashtag atru once again, this week's African Tech Roundup podcast is brought to you by Imagination Info Solutions. They help businesses create reports that are meaningful and insightful. Reports that actually assist business people make good, solid, data-driven decisions that impact the bottom line. To find out what Imagination can do for your business, visit imagination.co.za. That's e-imagination.co.za and discover why clients are raving about their information management solutions. Well, with that said, uh, it's cheers from me, Andy Lemasu. And of course, I can't say it till next week in my case because I won't be here and my heart bleeds. My man, Tefan Wahapi, will be here t- to keep it real. Who you'll have on board? Well, we'll have to wait and see, right? Yeah, I have to tune in to find out. And yeah, we do accept donations. I'm kidding, guys. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Take it easy. <laughs>